What's up, everyone? Welcome on in to the QB2 Experience podcast up here on 2QBs.com. Uh, getting you set for week 16 action. Congratulations if you're still listening on and making it this far into the fantasy playoffs. As you will note, I am not Salvatore Stefanelli, uh, your usual host here on the QB2 Experience. Sal uh, sends his regards. He's feeling a bit under the weather, so uh, no Sal for this week. But we knew we had to get out uh, the fire podcast for you to make sure you had all of your championship week QB2 streaming recommendations out there. My name is Jim Sonis. I am a staff writer over at Number Fire. Sal will be back with us for week 17 where we'll kind of recap the season, go back through what worked, what didn't, uh, what changes we are making to our process heading into 2017. But again, uh, if you have any, if you're on Twitter, feel free to send Sal some good wishes as he uh, tries to get out from underneath this cold. It will be just me for today. I know that my voice will probably get very annoying by a certain point, probably by now. Uh, so we'll try to, you know, breeze through things pretty quickly here and get you on with your streaming life. We will keep the same format, though, starting off with Week 15 Accountability. Looking back to our recommendations from last week, our top streamers were Tyrod Taylor, who was QB 12, Sam Bradford, who was QB 27, Alex Smith, who was QB 18. Our benching, it was more of a broad discussion about, you know, high-end guys in tough matchups in the playoffs, guys who you drafted early and uh, potentially tough matchups. Looking back at guys we discussed there, Drew Brees, quarterback one. So hopefully you didn't uh, bench Drew Brees last week as I might have been inclined to do given uh, the injuries the Saints had. Uh, Tom Brady, though, was quarterback 28. Eli Manning, QB 11, and, and Matthew Stafford was QB 25. So some hits and some misses in there for sure. In the rapid-fire section, Colin Kaepernick was QB 10 there. A couple of touchdowns for him. Trevor Simeon, not quite so hot. Uh, QB 26 threw for 282 yards, had a bunch of drops by Demarius Thomas. Uh, so a disappointing day there. But then Matt Moore, only 18 pass attempts, but good enough for QB 2 with 236 yards, four touchdowns. Uh, one other takeaway here from accountability from week 15. You know, I think the Sam Bradford one, um, that one maybe I underestimated his floor a little bit. Uh, given how badly game flow went in that game, it was basically the ideal scenario from a pass attempts perspective. 42 attempts, 291 yards. That's pretty sweet, but still couldn't quite convert things into fantasy points. So uh, maybe a little bit of overestimation there in what his floor was, given that he had been efficient this year. Uh, just didn't quite work out for Sam Bradford. So I think that's the one, to me, that bears the most investigation going forward. I think the rest kind of played out as you would have expected, except for Simeon, that one, a little bit weird too. So um, I think that the drops definitely hurt, but overall it seems like a, a situation where I may have been a little bit too optimistic about him as well. Let's move into week number 16 now. Looking at the streamers, it's kind of a muddy slate. Uh, so if you are trying to scrape something together for week 16, you do have options at least, uh, but they may not be the most enticing options. Let's start things off with Marcus Mariota. In this game, the Tennessee Titans, four-and-a-half-point favorites over the Jacksonville Jaguars, who just lost their head coach, Gus Bradley. The implied team total for Tennessee is 24 points despite being on 
on the road in a division matchup. And Mariota, he's had a, a couple of rough weeks, but I think that was to be expected given that he was facing Denver and Kansas City coming off their bye. He's still 11th in per dropback efficiency based on number fires metrics. The Titans are 10th as a team, and that does account for their schedule as well. So this is still a good offense. Obviously, Jacksonville is a good pass defense. One, we haven't been super enthused to attack uh, ever since we kind of realized that later on in the year. But I think that the, the advantage that Mariota has here is the pace in this game. The Jaguars currently rank uh, eighth in situation-neutral pace, according to Football Outsiders, and they are second overall in pace. So this is a fast team, and the Titans have done well when they've faced teams that operate at a faster tempo so far this year. They've only played four games against teams that rank 13th or better in situation-neutral pace, but they're averaging 400 yards per game in those four games, and that includes a 253-yard clunker against the Denver Broncos. The other game's uh, they've been they almost hit 500 in one of those games. They're above 440 in a, in another. So they've been really good offensively when they've been facing a team that does play up t- up tempo. They threw for at least 270 yards in each of those first or the other three games, excluding Denver. Mariota didn't do anything against Denver, uh, but in the other three, he was good. So the Jags' defense is good, but so is Marcus Mariota as we've seen this year. And I think the pace is kind of the tiebreaker for me, where it puts Mariota over the top. The Jaguars, again, they are good, but they did allow 302 yards to Brian Hoyer, 270 to Mariota, 278 to Matthew Stafford, 292 to Sam Bradford, and 260 to Tom Savage just last week. So even though they are good, I think this is a situation where Mariota can thrive despite a potentially uh, tougher opponent. He's, he is good enough, in my mind at least, to exploit that and have a solid fantasy day. Our second top streamer recommendation for this week, of course, always got to get some Tyrod Taylor love on the podcast. Bills in this game are three-and-a-half-point favorites. Uh, They have an implied team total of 22-and-a-half. The over-under this game is pretty brutal, uh, which I think does dampen Tyrod's upside. He's not really a guy we look to for upside, though. He's more of a floor guy. I think that's in place for this week. Miami ranks 13th against the pass this year based on number fires metrics and they're 31st against the rush now to me initially what that would say is okay the bills are going to run the ball a ton and they're the bills that's probably what they're going to do but it also means they'll likely be able to generate scoring drives which with a guy like tyrod taylor that's exactly what what we want yes it can result in a mike gillisley touchdown or a sean mccoy touchdown but tyrod's got six rushing touchdowns this year himself. Uh, He's averaging six rush attempts per game. If they can get their way into the end zone, you never know how that variance is going to break. It could just wind up that maybe Taylor has a two-touchdown game after they, you know, stomp their way down the field. And then you don't need a lot of passing production for him to be a really solid fantasy asset. So I think that you look at the scenario... It is a good floor for Tyrod, and the Dolphins, they did allow Colin Kaepernick to rush for 113 yards against them this year. Tyrod had 35 against them in their first meeting, and Marcus Mariota had 60, so they can be exploited on the ground too. I think that that kind of lines up well to give him a high floor. We know what we're getting with Tyrod Taylor, which in one sense is negative because you do want to have some sort of upside from your quarterback, and I don't really necessarily think Tyrod has that this year, but... He does bring a floor. You kind of know what you're getting in a positive sense, too, where if you look at him, 
you kind of know what you're going to get. So I think that with Tyrod, I don't really have concerns about him from a floor perspective. Yeah, there are upside concerns, but I think that if if we're this deep in the season and given the alternatives that we have, I'm going to focus more on floor. And when I focus on floor here, it does lead me to Tyrod Taylor. Those are really the only two top guys we have for this week. So the benching, our clipboard holder of the week for week 16. And this one, at least in my mind, is pretty simple. It's Matthew Stafford. There are a lot of reasons to dislike Matthew Stafford in this game against the Dallas Cowboys. That's on Monday night. Uh, The first one being his health. In the seven quarters that Matthew Stafford has played since injuring his middle finger, he has thrown three interceptions compared to just one touchdown. Over his previous 32 quarters before that finger injury, sorry, 33 quarters, he had 14 touchdowns and one interception. It's a pretty big split, and given that it is an injury on his throwing hand to a pretty crucial finger, you can kind of explain it away. So it's not something where I would assume it's small sample size This does seem as if he is struggling with, uh, with that injury to his finger. The Lions are uh, 30th in pace overall this year, which is concerning in itself because it's fewer plays for Stafford, but it's even bigger when you look at their opponent this this week. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys are one of the only two teams worse in pace this year than the Lions. They are 31st. The Miami Dolphins are 32nd. Again, this is according to Football Outsiders. The matchup is fine. Uh, the Cowboys are 20th against the pass this year, but that doesn't even matter. When the pace is this low, it's hard for Stafford to have any upside, and you do worry about his floor as well when you have two of the slowest teams in the league facing off in the same game. If we look at situation neutral pace, which again is from Football Outsiders, the Lions are 28th. The Cowboys Cowboys 30th, not much crack in there. So it just seems like a game that's going to be low scoring, likely not going to feature a lot of points. And for me, that's enough to push Matthew Stafford down, especially when you factor in the injury to his finger. The Lions in this game are seven point underdogs with an implied team total of 18.75. So for me, I really don't want to touch Matthew Stafford this week. I would absolutely put him below Marcus Mariota and Tyrod Taylor, but also below Matt Barkley, who is our first rapid-fire recommendation for this week. I would use Barkley over Stafford for this week. The Bears... Against Washington, they are underdogs, which is not something that we generally like uh, from our streaming quarterback two position. But Barkley has shown this year he can be good in those scenarios. He did well against the Packers last week and also leading them from behind against the Lions, too. He wasn't bad there. Uh, Overall, though, Barkley's been good. Uh, If we look at him this year, he is 15th in per dropback efficiency out of 38 quarterbacks with at least 100 dropbacks based on number fires metrics. He's actually 8th in success rate, too, which indicates that there could be some room for some upside in that per dropback efficiency as well. And I guess that gives me more confidence in targeting Barkley, even though his team is an underdog. Washington favored by three. The Bears implied team total isn't great at 21 and a half, but it's not a situation where you necessarily need to avoid this defense. They have struggled against the pass this year. They are 25th 
uh, based on number fire schedule adjusted metrics that just allowed Cam Newton to have his best game from an efficiency standpoint since week two, and that game was against the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, Cam had been struggling before that, but then had a nice game last week. Each of the past three quarterbacks to face Washington have thrown for at least 300 yards, and five of the past six have done so as well. So it could be a situation where this defense is actually trending in the wrong direction. The only guy who didn't hit that mark was Dak Prescott, and he attempted just 24 passes in that game. If you remember, that was the Thanksgiving game where Zeke Elliott kind of ran all over Washington and Dak didn't need to do much. So from a volume perspective, you would expect Matt Barkley's to be a bit higher than Dak Prescott's given a pace and also be he doesn't have Zeke Elliott, even though Jordan Howard is very good. So I think that Barkley is actually a decent guy this week. You could make a convincing argument for including him in the section above in the top streamers. I am not opposed to Barkley at all. Like I said, I would use him over Matthew Stafford. And to me, I, I think that that's, that's not really that bold of a thing to say there. I think that, that, that Barkley has been good enough to warrant some pretty serious consideration. Moving on now to our second rapid-fire recommendation. That's Tom Savage, baby. You could do a whole lot worse than Tom Savage. I know it's small sample size, but let's just kind of play this one out here before we get uh, too nervous and before we hear the next one, too, because that might make you even more nervous. Uh, Cincinnati, who is Savage's opponent, they're 17th against the pass this year, and they've allowed plenty of points to opposing quarterbacks overall. If you remember back in London before the bye, Kirk Cousins had 458 passing yards against them in Week 8. Trevor Simeon had 312 in Week 3. And you could say, maybe, you know, they're getting better. We haven't seen quarterbacks do super well against Cincinnati recently. But part of that's competition. Uh, they face Tyrod Taylor, whose team obviously hates throwing the ball. Rex Ryan would run it every down if he could. They face Joe Flacco, who has been largely inefficient this year, though is trending up. Carson Wentz, who has been atrocious ever since uh, Lane Johnson got suspended. This was during the Lane Johnson suspension, even though Johnson is back now. Uh, Wentz faced them. And didn't he, I think he threw for over 300 yards, but that was largely volume-based. After that, it was Robert Griffin III. There isn't really a quarterback in there who breathes efficiency. Uh, ben Roethlisberger wasn't great last week, who is above, above that tier of quarterbacks, but we know that Roethlisberger struggles more on the road. Pittsburgh runs a slower pace, and they want to grind clock more. And he still had 286 yards on 36 attempts, no interceptions. So he wasn't really bad. Uh, it just wasn't really a great fantasy day. So I think that this is still a Cincinnati defense we can target with opposing quarterbacks. And, you know, why not Tom Savage? He had .23 passing net expected points per dropback last week after he replaced uh, Brock Osweiler. That was against, again, a good Jaguars defense, so it's not as if he was facing the 49ers or something. Osweiler, when he got benched, was at negative .05 passing net expected points per dropback. So if we take every Osweiler dropback and turn it into a Savage dropback, the Houston Texans would have been expected to score 100 more points so far this year through 14 games, which is uh, seven points per game. It's a pretty significant mark. So for me, you know, looking at uh, Tom Savage here, it does seem as if he is a pretty sizable upgrade over Brock Osweiler.
And we saw last year that guys like Brian Hoyer or Brandon Whedon can be effective fantasy assets in the Houston offense, given DeAndre Hopkins, given uh, how C.J. Fedorowicz should be back this week, also Will Fuller there and now playing snaps again. This isn't a bad offense if it has a functioning quarterback, and Savage might not be that. But he did show last week that there is a possibility that he is. And I think that given what he has around him, that's enough for me to go back to Tom Savage, uh, to go to Tom Savage for this week and see how things crank out. Uh, It's not something where I'd start him over you know, a locked in guy. I think I might still use Matthew Stafford over him, but it is in the discussion at least. That's kind of where Tom Savage is for me heading into week 16. I think that Tom Savage is a partially sane thought process. You might not quite say the same about Jared Goff, who is our final rapid fire discussion. I don't want to call him a recommendation, I guess, but, uh, Uh, Sure. Uh, It's the 49ers, so we can't really ignore that. The 49ers are 28th against the pass this year and 30th against the rush. And if you look at the Rams, we love to put value in implied team total. The Rams' implied team total this week is 21.75, which, according to TJ Hernandez of 444.com, he tweeted this out back on Tuesday, it's the first time the Rams have had an implied team total above 21 since week one against uh, this very same San Francisco 49ers defense. Now, obviously, Jared Goff is not very good. We've seen that so far this year. His efficiency metrics are really, really bad. But there have been bad quarterbacks who have had okay fantasy days against San Francisco. Bryce Petty, 257 yards against them, and Drew Stanton had a pair of touchdowns. It can happen for Jared Goff. Again, he has been bad this year, but he had 17.56 points on the road against New Orleans earlier this year. This time, he is at home. He's facing the fastest-paced offense in the entire league, and San Francisco's pass defense has actually been a bit worse than New Orleans this year. So to me, that says... If you're considering Jared Goff, you're obviously in a pretty dark place uh, for Week 16. Maybe an injury to someone or something has uh, caused you to be here. Maybe you need to replace Brock Osweiler or something. I think you could do a lot worse than Jared Goff. Uh, You're not going to go out of your way to use him. Like You're not benching anyone relevant for him. I'd put him well below Savage and Barkley and those guys. But if you are in a situation where you need to use Jared Goff, I think you can do so, and it's uh, it's not that terrible of a proposition. If you're in a super flex league where you're deciding between him and maybe like a mid-ish tier uh, position player, I think that Jared Goff does at least merit consideration. Again, this all is based on he hit the assumption that he clears con- concussion protocol. Um, uh, Coach Fossil said today that he assumes Goff will get there. So we're kind of assuming that, that Goff will start. If he does, he should be good to go. If not, there are apparently rumors that Sean Mannion might start, in which case I would probably be totally out, and I might just roll whatever I had at the Superflex if this if that were the situation. But um, I think that if Goff starts, it's not desirable, but it's at least tolerable given the alternatives for this week. 
Uh, like I said, quicker podcast for today with Sal a bit under the weather. That's basically all that we have for this time on the QB2 Experience podcast. Again, a reminder, we'll be back with you next week. We will have kind of a recapping process type type podcast to go through things, how they went this year, what changed for us from a prospect's perspective. Maybe we'll look forward to 2017 as well, undervalue guys and stuff like that. I'm assuming same time next week as well for the QB2 Experience podcast. Best wishes for me. Go out to Salvatore Stefanelli as he uh, recovers. Hopefully Sal will be back with us for next week. If you have any questions, you can hit me up on Twitter. I am at Jim Sanis, J-I-M-S-A-N-N-E-S. All my work is up on numberfire.com. Of course, this is for two QBs uh, or for 2QBs.com, that's T-W-O spelled out, QBS.com. Their Twitter account is at T-W-O-Q-B-S. Follow them there with any questions you may have about QB2 streaming. I want to thank you all for tuning in for today for this abbreviated version of the QB2 Streaming Experience Podcast. Happy holidays to all of you. I hope that your travels are safe. Have some good times with your family. Good luck in Week 16. Congratulations on making it here. And hopefully we'll be having a cheery conversation with you in Week 17. Yeah.